0: Luis Rojas's ineptitude has the Mets on the brink of missing the playoffs.
1: We recap a disappointing series loss to the Blue Jays and look ahead to three must-win games against the Phillies. Also, will this be the only year of Luis Rojas at the helm for the New
0: York Mets? With all this Mets losing, we need a few laughs. So we will chat with comedian and diehard Mets fan Steve Hofstetter.
1: All that and more next on Amazing But True from the New York Post.
2: Que is Mets take the field. So amazing. Amazing but true. Orange is blue. So amazing. Here's the bitch. New York folks, it's out of here. We got gotcha. you!
1: Welcome to Amazing But True, our New York Mets podcast from the New York Post.
0: That's the voice of former Met number 27, Nelson Figueroa. I'm his co-host, Jake Brown.
1: Stop what you're doing and go into Apple Podcasts and give us a five-star rating and write a nice review. If you don't use Apple, find us on Spotify, Stitcher, Google, or wherever you get your podcasts.
0: Comedian Steve Hofstetter will join us in the second half of the show. <sighs> but, Vicky, oh, whenever it starts off with a deep sigh, that's never a good thing. And <laughs> this was a disappointing weekend for the Mets. This is the brink of playoff elimination. While they're only a couple out and they're still alive... This is bad because Friday you were at the highest of highs. You were 18-1. to DeGrom in his last two starts has gotten 32 runs of support. He's gone months without getting that much run support. Everything is good. You're probably going to win this series, at least take two out of three. And then Saturday happens. You lose 3-2. On top of losing, Ahmed Rosario gets tagged out at first on a play that was overturned. He got tagged out after striking out to get on base. You know, after Wilson Ramos took forever to get to first on what was a double play, which any other base runner beats that out. They lose Saturday. I could have added that to the frustrating loss tally on Twitter. And then Sunday comes Figgy and it's inexcusable that David Peterson was pulled from the game. The Mets go on to lose 7-3. They lose the series. They fall to 21 and 26. And you look at a, a series that could have been a potential sweep. Instead, you lose two out of three and you look at a Philly series coming up as a must sweep. You have to win all three. And if you're a Mets fan right now, you can't be happy that this team is five games under because with this offense, with this talent they have, they're so much better than this.
1: Yeah, they, they showed that throughout the season. Their hitting has been outstanding. Um, their timely hitting has gotten better, uh, from especially from the beginning of the year. They just left so many runners on base. And even when they scored a ton of runs, they've left runners on and opportunities have gone uh, by the wayside. But when you have someone like Jacob Degrom on the mound, and I always used to say this, what does he need? Two runs, three runs max? <laughs> and you got a chance to win a ball game. 18 runs. You want to spread that out over that three-game series, and it never works that way. You always know the next game is going to be a tough one, and after that, and I, and that's what we saw. However, it was the level of baseball that we saw. The we, the attention to details that I'm gonna have to get into. So you talked about how Ramos, yes, he's slow. We know that he can't change that. He can't all of a sudden beat that out. However, and of which he shouldn't have been up at the plate. I get it. He had a nice night the night before and so did everybody else in an 18 to one victory. We know he has not been swinging the bat very well. He had a nice night in that situation. Uh, runner already on first and we'll get into why he on a 2-0 count swings at a sinker from a pitcher who he's never seen at a sinker in on his hands. First of all, Ramos loves to hit the ball the other way. His bat speed is a slider bat speed and hitting the ball the other way is usually his plan of attack. Why he's trying to pull a 95-mile-an-hour, 96-mile-an-hour sinker from a pitcher he's never seen before in on his hands, inexcusable on a 2-0 count. If that ball's inside, you take it because that's not what you're trying to do is hit a ball off your fist.
0: Especially after walking the leadoff guy. The guy's already wild. Take your pitches. Especially when you're trying to do one of two
1: things. If you're trying to hit that ball to right center field, you wait for that hanging slider and you hit it that way. A, a, A pitcher who is missing the strike zone with that fastball and he got him with the movement of the fastball. It wasn't even the location so much, but he had never seen this pitcher before. You let that one go and you try and get something that he's going to groove because he doesn't want to walk two batters in a row. I still don't think Romo should have been up at the plate. I would have put up a multitude of batters before him because in that situation, I'm looking to put guys on or looking to have guys who can handle the bat like a Luis Guillorme, uh, whether it's to bunt the runner over, move him to second base, whether it's to try and get a hit or work the count a little bit better and maybe work another walk. That didn't happen. You got the two outs and then, and then, on top of everything, Ahmed Rosario strikes out, gets to first base, thank goodness he even ran. He runs, beats it out, he's at first base and gets picked off at first base with Jeff McNeil up to the plate. My biggest thing of that whole situation is... Yell about it, Figgy. I want to hear you yell like me. He had the red light, he said after the game. A red light. What that means? is, don't get picked off. You're not stealing the base because you're leaving that hole open for Jeff McKitts to pull the ball through and then you can go first to third all you want. That doesn't matter. Don't get picked off. You had one job. And Ahmed Rosario, I get it. He's 20, what, 324 years old now. And we keep talking about, oh, well, he needs to be replaced anyway. He still has to be better than that. Baseball instincts, not knowing the pitcher, we see what Ramos did against him, but not knowing the pitcher and his pickoff move. Stay closer to the base. You have a red light, do not get off 13 feet if you're used to having a 10 foot lead. There's no reason for you to be off that far, no reason. And he fell asleep and it was bang, bang. And without technology, he's called back safe, but we got instant replay. And on the sixth instant replay of the night, the call is overturned and the game is over. You lost the game because on a red light, not a green light, not a steal this base if you can, red light, you weren't able to just stay put and not get picked off. Highly disappointed in that. One of the things we'll get into talking about is what Luis Rojas's role was formerly, before this year, fast forward yesterday's game. Yesterday's game and Peterson is cruising after giving up the two run home run oh, sorry, he gave up a two-run home run on a bad changeup to a very good hitting Toronto Blue Jays lineup. After that, he settled down nicely. He had 24 pitches in the third inning and then had 23 pitches in the next two innings, so the fourth and fifth innings. He has 81 pitches, and they decide to pull him because they don't want him to go over 90 pitches, however, end of which, in the fifth inning, he threw a 10-pitch inning. Give him that opportunity to maybe do another 10-pitch inning, which puts you in a much better position. You may still have gone to Brock, and he still may have done that. He still may have walked the base's left. But at the time where you need length and you want to try and keep the other team down, when you have a pitcher who's retired the last nine at of 10 at his face and he's keeping the other team down, you let a sleeping dog lie. You don't, you don't put in a position, a guy who, and, and again, it's the right move. It didn't work out, but it could have been done an inning later. And what does that do? Peterson goes another inning, say he goes one, two, three, or Brock comes in and maybe bails him out of a jam. So what? He's got to be able to have a feel and not just a index card that says, how to manage. That's what I'm I, I'm upset about or I'm frustrated about today. It's because the move st- still is the right one to make. It was the wrong time to make it in my opinion.
0: Yeah, it was way too early. 81 pitches. He's cruising through the fifth and thank God figure here ranting. I mean, doing my job for me. I mean, finally get some frustration out of you because it is sickening. I mean, Luis Rojas. And then on top of that, if you're going to take him out, I'd rather, I mean, Rasmo Ramirez has been a godsend for this team so far. Obviously small ample size but if you want to do this piggyback thing put ramirez in there in the sixth inning either way it was wrong peterson should have been pitching the six and it bit the mets in the ass brock not only walks three guys then you bring hughes with the bases loaded and i like hughes but he can have command issues sometimes to put him in you know with the type of movement he has on his pitches with the bases full you're setting yourself up to walk in a run there he did he allowed a couple hits, and at that point, the game is over. It's 7-1, to and I said, the Mets were embarrassed, the Jets were embarrassed, the Islanders were embarrassed, and it seems like the Mets and Jets season ended in Buffalo on Sunday, because you know the Jets now have Le'Veon Bell out with a hamstring injury, and they look like a college football team, and the Mets look like a minor league team with a minor league manager, and that's what Luis Rojas is. He brought him here because of his relationship with guys in the minor leagues. This is the big leagues, and he looks overmatched. I just hate the whole analytics side and what your card's going to say, and even you don't want him at 90 pitches. Bro, there's two weeks left in the season. He will have an entire offseason to go to Golden Corral, stuff his face with a buffet, do whatever he wants, and relax then. For the next two weeks, you need 100-plus pitches. He's a starting pitcher. Andy Pettit's a starting pitcher. David Peterson is a starting pitcher pitcher it's not seth lugo going from the bullpen to the rotation this is a guy who was a starting pitcher in the minor league so stop babying and coddling these guys and let them get to 100 even 90 is too low for me i want 100 you're you're absolutely right on that especially
1: in the situation you know you're in you know you're in must win territory you know you're in uh, and you you, you, what you're trying to do is instill confidence because now peterson has no idea if he can go six innings Peterson has no idea if he can go 90 pitches because you don't let him. You're setting guys up to be able to do a certain thing because they have no feel of what it's like to be pushed to that level. And 90 pitches is not a lot. I promise you, 90 pitches is not a lot. The way that these guys train and they're training like never before with the uh, the, the, the way that they're doing all this new calculations and analytics when it comes to their training, they're training in a much better way. Yet at the, same, at the other end of it where we're wanting to see them throw more pitches and especially when they're in a groove and they're facing the middle of the lineup who would you want facing the middle of your lineup your starter or a, a, a reliever in any situation unless you're going to bring in a stopper type guy because that's what they said right it was the middle of the lineup that was coming up so if you're that fearful of the middle of the lineup why brock why brock i'm
0: miles davis he's not a stopper he he's a long he's a He's a long relief guy. He's a two, three inning guy. You don't put him in in that situation.
1: You would, you would go if if that's the case. Then you go with a, a different matchup, and you go with someone like Familia. Where hey, you're going to go with your guy who would normally be an eighth inning guy in that situation. If that's where you feel the game needs to be stopped and the lead and th- th- that game needs to be kept at the same score in that situation. So it, it is, it is frustrating, and it is. But guys, got to be better than that. Guys, got to be better than that. you can't you can't walk three in a row. When, and guys are putting the bat on their shoulder, and not having to. Worry and you you said you hit it up nail on the head with Hughes. Hughes is all about movement. All the sinker ball pitchers are all about movement. You're all about making something look like a strike and not be a strike. So if a hitter stands up there with the bat on his shoulders, I'm telling right now, out of six pitches, four of them will probably be borderline strikes at best, borderline strikes. And if they're not borderline strikes, those are the guys that usually give it up. The reason they are sinker ball pitchers is because they don't have that plus velocity or plus movement on their ball that they get swings and misses on. What they are banking on is that they're going to get bad contact, weak contact, and make the hitter hit the top of the ball. Most guys, when they used to face familiar, especially last year, they would put the bat on their shoulder because he didn't throw the ball straight enough to keep it in the zone. It was so nasty that it would be in the zone, out the zone. You have three pitchers in a row that you were thinking about doing that with and that would be Brock who's throwing that sinker slider combination, Hughes, who does the same thing with a changeup that goes out of the zone as well. He was has nasty movement, but you have to have guys that can throw strikes and they're professionals. Jake, they're professionals. So I don't buy the, the oh, it was a wrong thing. It had a terrible result. To me, it was too soon to use them because I would have probably used them later on if that's the case. Maybe my it might be my lineup rallies around the fact that Peterson goes another 10 pitches through the heart of their order and my lineup finds a way to score a couple runs. Now I start managing a little bit differently. But I I, I gotta say that it's it, it was disappointing to see Peterson right the ship and not be given an opportunity to go at least, at least, 10 to 12 more
0: pitches. Oh, you want to talk about disappointment? And, you know, we, we were feeling uh, feeling our own uh, gastrointestinal discomfort watching the Mets, like <laughs> Jeff McNeil, who was walking around the concourse. We had no idea what was going on. And then we realized he, he clearly had Chipotle a few hours prior, or, you know, he had a burrito or something because he, he had the dumps and Odell Beckham was nowhere to be found. Um, but anyways, you talk about disappointment. You, before we started, you said, oh, did you, you read that uh, Yahoo Mets article and, uh, I guess about Luis Rojas. So I, I Google Luis Rojas and I haven't read the full article yet. So I'm going to read it now. And of course it comes from none other than mom's basement, Andy Martino. And what a surprise Dr. Evil himself. If there's anyone who ever wants to be hated, uh, haters going to hate him. I'm surprised he doesn't have a shirt that says that who wants to be the anti opinion of whatever any Mets fan thinks it's Andy Martino. And I guess this is with Yahoo. I thought he's with SNY, but I guess SNY Yahoo partnership. So it's on the Yahoo site and we'll go through it. So I could release some of my gastrointestinal issues on the microphone. Uh, memo to Steve Cohen, Luis Rojas should be Mets manager for many years. So at that point I read the headline and I'm already insert triggered GIF. Then I look about two centimeters below it and it's Andy Martino and you could already see me shaking in my boots when I see the author on top of that so he writes Figgy Towards the end of the 2011 season, as the Mets played out the string, a reporter asked first-year general manager Sandy Alderson to name the positive he drew from a transitional, transitional year. Well, Alderson said, I think we found our manager. He was talking, of course, about Terry Collins, who went on to win more games than any manager in franchise history other than Davey Johnson, which, by the way, was because more longevity, well, I mean, versus the team being that good. They had two good years, but my digress. Uh, flash forward nearly a decade, and the team finds itself in a similar situation. Despite a likely playoff, miss the Mets have a keeper in the dugout in Luis Rojas he says with an ownership change intimate no one in the organization is on particularly solid footing we don't know yet if Steve Cohen will want to make sweeping changes or spend a year or two evaluating GM Brody Van Wagen and his staff but we do know this Cohen would be wise to commit to Rojas and hasty to discard him for a bigger name. Simply put, Rojas is a special manager who has already earned the right to lead the team for many years. So, Figgy, does he write this to make you pull your hair out? For me, it's non-existent hair. I'm going to break my new glasses reading this. Garbage. Because it's clearly wrong. What is he saying? Um Translation, it's hard to
1: judge anything over a shortened COVID season.
0: That's fair, yes.
1: Okay, I I will say that. What you would normally see as, say, five mistakes that have cost them games over the span of 162 games, that's minimal damage, correct? But when you're talking about five games in a 60-game span, and especially when it seems like it's been you know, more recent when you're supposed to learn from your mistakes, that's where it gets frustrating, right? But I think if you extrapolate it over the course of a whole season, and the article does go on to express some other things about what the most important thing is In a manager because the manager is managing the guys in the clubhouse, the guys in uniform. He has to deal with what is sent down from up top and with the analytic team and the statistical team and uh, input from the, the GM, the lineup is already made out it's not like the old school manager would sit there and go all right i want to i feel like this guy today here this guy today there this guy playing here this guy that's not done anymore he has no input in that so you are you you have to be able to play the cards you're dealt and that's what happens in today's game you can hide behind analytics so much because like i said i think i understand the move that he was making i wanted him to go with his gut I wanted him to have faith in his starter, and I wanted him to say, hey, this kid can go one more inning for me. Maybe that's a defining moment for this kid in his career, to grab him by the scruff and say, hey, how you feel? I feel good. I'm going to let you go back out there and maybe have the guy going so that if he does give up a hit, if he does walk a guy, then you bring, bring in somebody else. But give him a chance. Give him a chance to prove something to himself, right? So remember, Luis Rojas's role before getting the managerial job was quality control. Quality control. He has had to check players on lack of preparation, uh, lack of effort when it came to J.D. Davis covering third base and the guys stealing um, in that series that happened earlier in the, in the year. He has done a good job in-house. And again, in-house isn't what we see on TV, Jake. In-house, he has done a great job and he has not lost that clubhouse in any way, shape, and or form. Those guys will be the first ones to tell you. Brock will tell you, that's on me. Hughes, that's on me. I came in and walked the first guy and then gave up the hits. That's on those guys. That's not on the manager for having confidence in his relievers to to be able to get three outs without walking four. So although from a fan's perspective, what you're looking at is those moments that in hindsight – you can sit back and say, it was the wrong move. It didn't work out. But there is there is reason to the rhyme, rhyme to the reason, whichever way it goes, in which Rojas has tried to do what he felt was best. Well, oh, I, I, I change that. What he thought was best, but not what he's felt was best. That's where I need Rojas to be better. And as a first year manager, he's trying to do things a little bit too much by the book. He's to- managing like a quality control coach. Let's, let's exactly, put it out. As exactly. That's what no, no, no. 1,000%. He's
0: that's doing exactly his old it. job
1: in a new job that's more important. That's exactly it. But here's here's where here's where you see a difference when he has to sit there and be the guy answering questions about what happens. And you can see the frustration on his face. You can see the frustration on his face about Rosario where he goes to answer the question. The first thing out of him is <sighs> like, I, 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 I the game just ended. I didn't even get 30 seconds to address this with Rosario, but this is kind of what I'm going to tell him. He did the same thing with J.D. Davis. He's done the same thing with people. And, and, and I'm sure he's done it with relievers who walk bases loaded and have bad outings. Listen, people are not going to be perfect. That's why analytics don't run the game. That's why you can't have Alexa running the game. You can't just walk up to Alexa and go, what should I do? Rojas has to have more of a feel, and he needs to be giving, I I think, a little bit more leeway to have that feel.
0: Go by what you see and not by the books. That's what I think, Figgy. Uh,
1: And and that's
0: that's usually...
1: But you got to remember, Jake, Tony La Russa changed the game when it came to matchups with relievers, lefty for lefty, righty for righty, the one the one batter guy, that kind of thing. Tony La Russa changed the game by using seven pitchers every game, right? But when he first did it and it didn't have success, people thought he was crazy and way above his head. You know what I'm saying? So I think that's what we have to realize is that I'm, I'm not in any way defending um, the outcomes but I'm defending the fact that it's not as easy as him just sitting back like we are. We have the freedom at home to say, that was a bad move. I would have done this. I would have done. He maybe is not able to do that just yet. They haven't taken the training wheels off. He's only allowed to make three moves a game. You know what I'm saying? Like they get 90 pitches. He's only allowed to do certain things as of this moment. They want him to stick to the script, stick to the game plan, and play out the game plan. Let's see what happens. But you've got to have a feel of in-game adjustments. You've got to have a feel of a start who writes the ship and gives you 13 pitches in the fourth inning, 10 pitches in the fifth inning, and is chomping at the bit to go back out there to prove that he's more than just a five-inning pitcher who gave up the two-run home run to Goriel.
0: Do you have a toilet or garbage nearby? Should I continue the article from clickbait, Andy?
1: (laughs) You know what? It's up to you. I I honestly think what he is trying to do, what what he's doing is, is obvious. It's obvious that today would be the day that you would be triggered by that because you're like oh my god he blew it why did he take him out why do you do this why do you do that these guys are supposed to be professionals and be able to get the job done I, I, that's bottom line. Bottom line. I used to say that about Terry Collins all the time. When Terry Collins had that team in uh, 2017, and w- what what are you going to do when you when you have that band of misfits uh, and all the guys were injured, all the guys were hurt, and then you had 2014 going into 15, going all the way to 15 almost at the trade deadline, and you're sitting there with Eric Campbell and uh, Mayberry are the three and four hitters. What are you going to do with that? You can't do anything with that. So it doesn't really matter how good the manager is when it comes to the Those little parts and the X's and O's and the in-game adjustments that have to be made. Plus, you remember, you got a first-year pitching coach. Um, He's giving recommendations of who he thinks should be in the game. He's got to have a feel as well. And he's Thinking Brock is a guy you can trust. Hey, he's going to go in there and he's going to, you know, be able to, to challenge these guys. And it didn't work out. It didn't work out. But it there it, it isn't just on one man. It isn't just on one man. And Mickey Calloway, when he won the first, what was it, 11 out of 12? And we're like, oh my God, you know, greatest debut for a first-time manager ever. Him and then uh, Alex Cora went on to win the World Series. They were both like neck and neck when it came to that in the beginning of the season. Alex Cora goes on to win the World Series. The Mets wound up, you know, being the Mets and and finishing well out after, uh, you know, everyone getting hurt and having to uh, recycle broken parts. But Mickey Calloway never had that clubhouse. Never, never to me had that clubhouse. He never had uh, it, it. It just it just didn't feel like it was the right fit. He felt like, like I used to say, Terry Collins was like that older that that older dad and then there's a divorce and so the young hot stepdad is in place now and so he's and mickey trying was to surely trying hot
0: to, mickey was a hot man i mean
1: the he ladies tra- loved he's mickey. trying to be the he's trying to be the best friend and yet the disciplinary at the same time and it's like dude you're not even my dad that's kind of how the mets clubhouse was with mickey calloway i feel like luis rojas kind of you know he rode through the system with a lot of these younger players and you're looking at a young nucleus of players that have come up through the system that you're excited about for the first time in a long time for the first time in a long time you're excited about This young nucleus of players, even though there's been some disappointments, there's been some really nice players and they all trust Luis Rojas and Rojas has to a man has sat down and talked with each one of these guys, whether it's Rosario not playing against lefties when he just had a three hit game and you look at Jimenez comes in and tears it up, but he's got these guys kind of focusing on team first, right? pulling Cano late in games, pulling Pete Alonso out of playing first base and having Dom Smith over there and using him as a DH more. All these different things that normally there would be animosity towards that. There would be some pushback from the veteran guys like that. You know, Chirino's coming in and catching, even though he's batting a buck 19. You don't think Ramos would, would, would there be a lot of pushback. But I think that they trust Luis Rojas in that clubhouse a lot more than we are privy to know. And I think that's one of the things why this article came out. Maybe whatever source that Andy Martino has, has that inside pulse of what it's like in the clubhouse. Because from the outside looking in, like I said, there's been five mistakes you can count off the top of your head. Whereas like, man, that they could have won that game. They should have won that game. What was he thinking? Over the course of 162, it would have been a much different outcome.
0: He could have all the conversations he wants one-on-one with guys. He needs a conversation with himself because the analytics side, it's only going to get you so far. And yeah, while you're saying and we could be harsh on him. Listen, this guy was the backup choice to the manager that they hired. They had to let Carlos Beltran go, who was yet another guy who was going to be a first-year manager, but did have, you know, successful playing days, did have some front-office experience... The Mets continue to go after guys with no major league experience managing. They went to get Terry Collins a decade after he was managing in the big leagues. They brought Mickey Callaway, who was a pitching coach, to manage. As the cops come to get me for being so mean right now in the background to Luis Rojas. And they went with Rojas, who was a first-year manager. They keep Figgy going after guys who haven't been there before. And I get it. He was there. He coached the minors. He had this relationship. He managed
1: in the minors as well. So he's, he's, ha- he's had managing experience which again, you can only be a major league manager if you get the opportunity. That doesn't mean you don't know how to manage because you haven't managed. But how league.
0: many times are you going to do it? This is like the third straight no, time.
1: But it's, but it's not, you're talking, you, listen, the, the, the Beltran signing, most people liked because you thought of the what this guy brought to the table as a star player translating into being a successful manager because he could handle all those different realms. The biggest thing for him was going to be handling the media because he wasn't very good with the media at times. He did shy away from the media when things weren't going so well for him. So that was one of the biggest concerns about Beltran. When it comes to the difference between a uh, Mickey Calloway as a, as a pitching coach managing for the first time and, 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 and Luis Rojas is that Rojas has managed Managed before. Rojas does have that experience. He has grown up in a family of perennial baseball players in the Alu family that he has seen almost every situation. Yes, he's going to learn. He's going to take his lumps. He's supposed to, but it's not supposed to be looked at over this. shortened season of 60 games, it would have been unfair. Joe Girardi, and I'll, I'll say this lastly, Joe. everybody wanted Joe Girardi, everybody wanted Joe Girardi. I've been on, I'm on record already saying that Joe Girardi had 10 years with the Yankees, okay? He had ten years with the Yankees with an open checkbook with the best roster in all of baseball. The best roster in all of baseball with an open checkbook. And what did that get them?
0: Oh, they got a ring more than what One. we got. One more
1: over the ten years. So give you're gonna give if you give Rojas ten years, you have a shot. Yeah,
0: but I mean, there's still other ten teams, years. and they still made the playoffs every year. they were a winner. It's not. And like you I, have said, I don't care. No, I you have said this. You said it's, it's about not all World about. You said it's not all about the
1: World Series or not. You said the World Series. You
0: said it's not all about the checkbook. You said look at the Rays. The Rays have no money. Look how good they're. It's not. I won a World either. It comes Look down to the Dodgers.
1: The Dodgers have poured billions of dollars, the Dodgers have poured into that team. They have been to the World Series, what, three of the last four years? It comes down they
0: to have, have a leader know what they're doing. And, yeah, Dave Roberts is a good manager, though. Joe Girardi comes in. here; He has the New York experience. Even someone no, like no, a no, Buck no. Showalter. You just said Dave Roberts
1: is a good manager. Then why does he lose every seven-game series in the World Series It'd be such a good they're manager? They're there. You know, you're
0: not going to win every but time. They but they get they're, there. Where do the they Mets get? get? Base, they don't even they make the playoffs. The, they,
1: got there, they got there based on their the level of talent that they already had Plus the open checkbook. This is a 16-team
0: playoff, and the Mets are going to be out. It's pathetic. Without a doubt.
1: The disappointment of all disappointments. But when when you're missing two of your five starters that you're counting on, remember, Waka wasn't supposed to be counted on. Porcello was supposed to be your number four, maybe your number five, depending on if Matt's had his head screwed on, right? Matt's has not been anywhere near the pitcher that you'd hoped he was going to be the number two starter after you got the bad news about Syndergaard and and Stroman. So don't sit here and go, oh, he had all these things in place. Cespedes opts out. You had a bunch of things go wrong. And instead, they still are not mathematically eliminated. You know what that means to me? I watched the Nationals, um, because I'm only going by recent memory. I don't want to go back to every team that's ever done this. The Nationals, after 50 games, it's a 60 game season. The Nationals, the 50 games were 19 and 31 and went on to win the World Series. They got hot at the right time, but they had to believe in their manager. They could have fired their manager during all that. They could have gotten rid of everybody. They could have just fire sale and sent Scherzer away and got five prospects and got five prospects for Strasburg. They could have done all that, but they didn't. They stayed the course and they wound up winning the World Series because that team bonded together in a way that got them past the playoff line, got them all the way through, got them all the way through. And it was incredible to watch. And that's what baseball is all about. I don't care about how much money you pour in. I don't care about who's managing. Okay. Players have to be better. That's what we need to see. The players have to be better. You can't have Pete Alonso striking out ten times out of nine at bats. You can't have that in a series with the with, with the Blue Jays because they were almost looking for Alonso in the lineup. That can't happen. Not in a minor league ballpark. I
0: I no, agree. Not- you know the player, the starting pitching especially, I mean, you talk about Porcello, Waka have been the downfall of this team. Really, just how every five days they go out there and get bombed. So I agree, but I also am on the fact of stop. Using the analytics stop. The, the Peterson mistake is inexcusable. He said, "New." I mean, I haven't. I, I should write a book about some of the inexcusable mistakes, but. You got. You can't in have a shortened it, you the, season,
1: you can't have it both ways. You can't have it both but ways. But in a shortened last season, week, you have
0: to you have to manage great, and he has not managed great. Yes, he has not managed great.
1: But last week, you were just all over him using Miguel Castro, and he has no track record. Now, David Peterson has no track record, no track record. But you want to leave him in another one. He just pitched
0: one. five great innings. He made one bad pitch. How do you take him out after five innings?
1: Uh, and, and I get that. You know who also made one bad pitch, Miguel Castro, last week when they hit the ball to the moon. Segura hits the ball to the moon and, and changes that ball game. He's he made, made many bad, bad
0: pitches. Pitch. He's he's made many. I, <laughs> I digress. But no, that that's that's exactly what it is.
1: This this game is very difficult. And as the manager, you get the loss next to your name. So does one of the pitchers gets the decision. That's who gets a, a loss next to their name. Those are the only ones that gets the the wins and the losses. And then of course the team does. So you bear the responsibility. You bear the burden. You don't think he losing sleep at night over some of the decisions that he makes, but we don't know how much those handcuffs are on him, what he can and can't do. That's David Peterson is their only, their only minor league pitching prospect that shouldn't have been in the big leagues yet. But he's our only one. Say he does does go the ten pitches right, and he bur- and, and something happens, he tweaks the elbow. We didn't even know he was hurt last time. He had just come off a great outing when he when he went on the IL. So there there's there's always something under there. I, I said this about my team in 2008 with the Mets, where we finished down the finish line and we broke down towards the end. And I I, I went on SNY as a screen test, and I, I I went there, and the first thing that the reporters had asked me uh, on the Daily News live show was, don't you think if you guys had defined roles, it would have been better? And I said, you have no idea what it was like. For for these guys underneath their uniforms. The duct tape that it it took to hold these guys together. Avila was uh, pitching with two pulled groins, okay? He had tape underneath to try and keep his groins from tearing off the bone. And he pitched that way as our closer. Meanwhile, he was a a cast aside from the Washington Nationals, like the 13th pitcher, but he was trying to be our closer. We didn't have Wagner. We didn't have anybody that we could count on. And these guys were trying to do it in a way that nobody knows what these players go through what's underneath the uniform, what they're dealing with. They don't know. But what you do know is that when you're given the opportunity, you have to make the most of it as a paid professional player. That's it. Bottom line. I love that Brock took accountability, said I stunk. I'm stunk. I'm embarrassed about what I did. That I give a thumbs up to. How about because-
0: Luis Rojas says that he stinks? How about he makes fun of it? How about he says after the game, he holds accountability. Oh, I should have left Peterson in the game. Stop. If you're going to do 90 pitches, don't take him at 81. Take him out at 90. Let him go the inning. It's that simple. And listen, they scored two runs. Who knows? Maybe they end up winning that game. 7-1 looks a lot different if you leave Peterson in and he gets a scoreless six. So, you know, we could argue about this forever. Feisty Figgy and Jolton and Jake here. <laughs> on amazing, but true. Uh, you know, three, we could agree on one thing. The Mets have to sweep the Phillies. I mean, yes. they're only two out. They're alive. And listen, if Porcello can be the guy they paid, they have Porcello, DeGrom, Lugo going this week against the Phillies. You're throwing your big guns out there. You got to sweep. And if the Mets sweep, well, we'll be back Thursday afternoon. So we wanted a Thursday game. But if they win these first two games, we're going in Thursday. They're excited about this team once again when we shouldn't be, and they're gonna tease us until Thursday when Luis Rojas takes out his starting pitcher at the 50 pitches. Um so three big games, uh three against the Braves, three Rays, four nationals. And listen, you know, the 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 Marlins and Phillies again duking it out Monday. I mean, they keep playing each other. That's helping the Mets that they're you know they're beating each other up. Um, that helps and the schedule for the teams in front of them they have some d- tough teams to play so listen the season's not over but it, it all comes down to the games in Philly this week
1: it absolutely does and and that's what you were hoping for this is what the whole drama of 16 team playoff for you know hopefully only this season but that that's what Everybody wants is that playoff rush, right? So they're still in it. I hate the idea that they're in it when they're under 500 like this. If you if you're not a 500 team, you shouldn't even be considered for the playoffs.
0: They're it's, teasing it's a, us. It's a it's very
1: it's very it's very hockey esque, right? Where you have all these teams in. Um, but I, I, I hey, listen, it, they they still have a chance. I love what I've seen from the lineup, even though they they struggled the last couple of days. I I've liked what I've seen from the lineup in the month of September. They've been very consistent for the most part. We've raved about certain places. I mean, Conforto didn't show up that last game either, uh, almost the last two games. He had a bloop single here and there, but he came up in some big situations, some key situations. That's still where they need to get better. If they can get those timely hits, and they can have better at bats. Pete Alonso righted the ship when he started taking more pitches, and he was taking walks because they were throwing him balls out of the strike zone. He's just chasing, and he's continuing to chase, and he's frustrating himself. And you can see it in his face—the the, almost the the exhale after every swing of like, oh my god, it's going to happen again. He needs to just kind of be a little bit more patient, let them make a mistake. Right now, he's just chasing everything all, all over the zone, and uh, you know they have—it's it, must win time, right? We've been how many times have we said that? It can't get any worse. It's must win. That's been that's been uh, twenty twenty Mets. That's right
0: Well, listen, we have we have Thursday to say that and then uh, Monday and then you know it's weird to say this, but next Monday is you know it's the final week of the season. So this show, you know, is almost coming to an end. At this point, it doesn't seem like we're going to have October, Monday, and Thursday shows because the Mets will be done. By then, we might be talking about the offseason and Stevie, Uncle Stevie, coming in and cleaning the house up. We'll laugh a little bit. We'll drink some water first uh, before we talk to comedian Steve Hofstetter next on Amazing But True. Joining us now is a rabid Mets fan and a comedian. And God, do we need to laugh a little bit when it comes to the Mets in general. And especially right now, five games under five hundred, fighting for their playoff lives, if you want to say that. Uh, it is Steve Hofstetter. You can follow him on Twitter and Instagram, at Steve Hofstetter. Check out his YouTube page. He's doing live shows digitally at the thenowherecomedyclub.com. He's garnered, I like that word, over $159 million YouTube views Steve welcome to amazing but true how are you man
2: I'm good I'm good I actually I used to co-host a Mets podcast and we would just call it the sad cast yeah because it's just like each day it was uh the 2018 season and each day we were just like how much worse can this get and then it would get worse which was fun what will Mickey Callaway
0: do next? And amazing, but true has put it's been put a new meaning to it. It's amazing, but true how this fine this team finds new ways to lose every day. Whether it's Rojas, whether it's the bullpen, whether it's base running blunders. Uh, Steve, ha- have you had to close your eyes? Now you watch on the West Coast, so I guess the one o'clock games you're just waking up and your eyes are seeing what's happening. Uh, but have you been able to you know find out what's going on with this team?
2: Well, I'm in you know I'm in my 40s now, so I'm trying to eat healthier. So like I you know start. My morning with like a, a bowl of oatmeal and paint. So it's like, it's nice, you know? It makes the oatmeal not taste as bad to be distracted by something that's happening on the field. But it, it's also like, let, you know, look, let's be realistic. This season doesn't matter. Whoever wins the World Series, no one's going to take that seriously. What are they going to give them? A third of a trophy? It's not a full season. We all know that. This is just the longest spring training we've ever seen.
1: Well, that's a great way to put it, Steve. I can tell you one thing from being on the field and having to deal with. Fans and and disappointing the fans. I watched uh, several YouTube videos about you dealing with hecklers.
0: You, know,
1: <laughs> you can do it in a different way than I can. I don't normally get that chance to respond as eloquently as you do. Talk about some of the interactions that you've had. The most memorable one that you've had with a heckler.
2: Well, first of all, the the thing you know, a, a baseball player can respond with a home run or with striking a guy out. You know, obviously, depending on their position and you know that's a way to to permanently shut people up like comedy is subjective there is no like well you know he is hitting 350. like you can't do that so you have to really go for the jugular um, with me, I'm, you know, I'm the youngest of four and I grew up bullied a lot. And so I had to I had to get good with the comeback. Like that's that was it was survival.
0: I can imagine we talked before you started the different kinds of comedy shows that you do. Tell us about kind of, you know, the audience you prefer performing and, you know, some of the audiences that you didn't like performing in front of.
2: You know, now that I have a name and I'm selling tickets to my fans, it's a lot easier because the people come and they expect certain things. They also, you know, respect you. But when I was performing at a strip mall comedy club, when they're basically promoting the show, they're like, you know, this weekend, come check out comedy by Who Cares? And that's a lot tougher uh, especially when, like you know, I do a lot of stuff that's political, and it, it's really, really difficult to you know get a get a joke in for someone who does not respect your opinion or find you funny, and also is too drunk to stand. It's mm-hmm. it's, it's a it's a tough situation sometimes.
1: That's the trifecta right there, right? When dealing with a fan, and you have to kind of put together all that and assess it. And one, day. is it really worth continuing this conversation with this person? I, I felt the same way a lot playing in the minor leagues in some, you know, podunk towns and you don't have an opportunity to explain to people, they think, you know, you're a professional athlete. They expect you to, to always be perfect. Or if not, Hey, next year, there's going to be another guy here in your place. It's not a big deal yeah. on the way up on that climb up to where you're at now. You know, what some of the things that, uh, were you ever thinking of like quitting, persevering through something or thinking about, maybe I need to do something else.
2: Oh, all the time. Um, and I, I compare minor league baseball to comedy constantly. Like I've got, you know, I've got some friends who played and, and we always talk about the similarities it's, you know, between like the having a crash at like host families, which I had no idea that low level minor leaguers like stayed, stayed with people. Like they were an exchange student. I had no idea. And, you know, even sometimes, even sometimes the bonus babies do because they don't want to be seen as different. Learning that blew my mind. Uh, A big difference, uh, Andrew Rivers, who's a comedian, had a great line, which is that, when you guys get heckled, it's by people who are rooting against you. When we get heckled, it's by people who are rooting for us. It makes absolutely no sense. We're the only team in the game that they paid (laughs) to come watch, and they're still like, you suck. And it's like, well, then we all suck. What's the point of this? Mm So I I think that, uh, you know, I've definitely thought about quitting. Um, You know, you always have those moments. I think one of the toughest things for me was early on, uh, I tried out for Last Comic Standing. Uh, It was season two. And, you know, I, I I slept on the ground outside of Zany's in Nashville. And just, you know, hoping for a shot, not realizing that that show was completely rigged at the time. Um, They changed producers and then it actually got honest. But, by you know, it's season two and that part of it was everyone already had a deal ahead of time. I didn't know that. I was a, you know, dumb kid waiting out there and it snowed and it rained and the producers come over to me in the morning and they're like, oh, how how was it last night? Like I'm supposed to be happy about it. And I just, you know, my sarcastic self, I say, well, the rain was kind of bad. The snow got awful. The locusts really sucked. Now they use that line on the show, but what they do because the contract says if they show you for at least 3 seconds, you're a, you're paid on the show. They show me say that line for 2 seconds and then on the end of the line they pan off to a Nashville skyline so they don't even have to pay me. Wow. And at that point I was like, I hate this business. This is so mm-hmm. stupid. But then I realized that's not the business I hate. TV and stand up are two different things. Mm-hmm. One feeds the other, but I could just be a stand up. And so I've been concentrating on digital all these years. And, you know, I've done some TV and film and stuff like that, but it's just to feed the live shows. And so if you get to the point where you don't have to rely on someone else to hire you, where you can just perform for your fans, then it is absolute bliss. And that's where I'm at.
0: What was your, you know, I made it or I am making it moment? And how old were you?
2: I think the first time that I realized, like, wow, this is something was you take pictures with people after the show from the very start. When you're nobody, when you're when you're doing an unpaid guest set on someone else's show, there are still people who are just, oh, maybe they'll get famous one day. And they say that to your face, which hurts. Mm-hmm. Like the idea of like, oh, I'm just taking this picture in case I can use this memory. <laughs> like it's mm-hmm. such it's such garbage. The first time I was like, wow, this is something was when someone was taking a picture with me after the show and I could feel their hands shaking. Mm. And that was when I was like, oh, people are really starting to care even though most people still, I could walk by them on the street and they would have no idea. who. I could tell them my name on the street and they would have no idea who I was. To some people, this is big enough. And, and that made me realize, okay, the snowball is starting down the hill.
1: You know what? That's so funny that you say that because I never even put that into perspective. But th- that is something that I totally get because I've been that minor league player, that guy who was the bubble player in the major leagues, and it didn't matter. And I remember being in New York for the first time as a Met And doing things with kids afterwards or doing uh, clinics and then going to school and reading to the kids and then taking pictures and like you know the, the same exact thing that you said people put their arm around you and they're shaking as they're holding on to you and you're like okay, calm down, we're good, it's um, just just me kind of thing. And uh, that's a a great observation, great way to tell that.
2: But you also get, I'm sorry to cut you off, but on that, you also get the thing on the way up where someone takes a picture with you and then goes, okay, what's your name? Like I see that (laughs) in spring training all the time. I I go to spring training every year. And it's mm-hmm. so funny to see. And I'm like, dude, just turn to the person next to you and ask them. Like, don't do that to that kid. Mm-hmm. Like, come on, you know?
1: Uh, I, I, I used to get the, can you take this to David Wright and get him to sign this? <laughs> and, uh, you know, it, it, uh, I don't see David around here, but you know what? I'll sign it for you. And then you get that. Well, who are you? And the the real fans are sitting there and like, come on. You can't do that. that that's yes. so funny.
2: I, uh, I got once when I was... Uh, so I I was a sports writer when I was twenty years old, mm-hmm. and uh, so I was I was working uh, for the Yankees actually, and uh, which was in 2000 what a conflicting year so yeah I mean I did get to go to the series which was fun and those of us who were Mets fans kind of we had our own little you know when they won game three we had our own little uh, post-game toast but it's after the first series that I'm covering and uh, all the Orioles are leaving at the same time and you know it's the end of the series so you know Figgy knows this everybody's you know dressed up for travel and that's the same outfit that sports writers are wearing you know the, the khaki pants and the button shirt and the bag over your shoulder and so I go to leave at the same time as a couple of the Orioles and all these kids are screaming for my autograph. They probably assumed I was some middle reliever. They'd never heard of. I was 20. They're all screaming. And, and I say, I was like, Oh no, man, I'm just a writer. And I keep walking. And I told my friends a story and they're like, you should have signed, man. They wouldn't have known the difference. They would have mm-hmm. just, Oh, I met one of the Orioles today. Who did you meet? According to his signature.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's, that's hilarious. I remember coming out of uh, the Brooklyn Cyclone stadium. It was like an X- FXFL game. And I came out of there, and people thought I was someone important. I'm like, no, just a just a podcast dude. Um, so I feel that 100. Uh, percent What's your favorite Mets memory? Do you have a favorite team or Mets memory? You are also a Queens guy like me. I'm in a story. You're from what? Forest Hills?
2: Uh, no. So born and raised in. Uh, well, I guess not born, but raised in uh, Briarwood. Okay. And then uh, moved to Forest Hills for two years, Rego Park, Long Island City, Bell Rose. Like When I say I'm from Queens, I mean the whole damn thing. <laughs> yeah,
0: you got it all so, covered. Yeah. yeah. Uh,
2: there, there, there are very few neighborhoods I can't point to and be like, oh, I grew up there. So my favorite Mets memory was 86. I was seven years old, and we watched the ball go through Buckner's legs in the electronics department of department store because in true my parents fashion as hardcore of a Mets fan as my father ever was and you know and th- this is a guy who was at a lot of the amazing moments over the years you know we were we were shopping in a department store for some reason. I think we were in like Sears or something stupid like that. And during the World Series, who does that to their kids? (laughs) But my brother and I snuck off. My brother's four years older. So he was old enough to kind of like talk and the store is closing and he was old enough to talk to the people in the electronics department to get them to put the TVs back on. And so uh, like I very much remember where they asked that they're like, well, who are you rooting for? We're like the Mets. They're like, okay. So they turned the TVs back on and we got to see the go through Buckner's legs in the electronics department of a department store. That stands out to me a lot.
0: Yeah, that's incredible. What do you think of Luis Rojas and his future? We talked about it earlier in the show. I obviously think he should be gone. Um, What do you think his future holding?
2: I think this is spring training, and it's ridiculous for us to judge. I think that we need to see someone actually manage in a season where i don't know we're not playing a cardboard cutouts like we need to and you have your whole roster like that that pitching staff right now is held together with duct tape and hope like there's no it's so difficult to and i understand that yeah there are some in-game decisions that have not been the the greatest but at the same time like that's what we were expecting from him he is a first-time major league manager the whole reason we liked him as it is because he had the clubhouse behind him and so as long as he has the club House behind him. He can learn the in-game stuff. That's what we need. I am absolutely not ready to to throw throw the baby out with the bathwater, as they say.
0: Damn, that is one of my dad's like favorite saying. He always says to me, "Don't throw the baby out with the bathwater, Jake." So I'm <laughs> glad someone else says it. You were maybe the first other person that I've I've heard use that. It's a nice. nice no, shot.
2: I mean an actual baby, though. No, <laughs> no.
0: reaching other <laughs> territories. Is um, that routine. a problem
2: back in the day? Were they just accidentally like, oh, we got to spill it? Oh, thank God for drains eventually with drains huge <laughs> and the baby they just kept that's why they used drains, to have so many kids drain lives. Drains save lives absolutely <laughs> is there
1: any one time that you've bombed and you remember it
2: a pitcher with a pitcher who can't throw a curveball shouldn't try to throw a curveball and so even if your game plan is fastball slide or change up and Those aren't working, you can't suddenly start to throw a curveball, it'll never work.
0: Yeah, take notes, Figgy.
2: And so, <laughs> oh,
0: wait till so my comes.
2: it's the people who aren't enjoying what you do, you're not gonna get them. Mm-hmm. So, why try to be a diluted version of what they might like a little bit? Why not just try to cement those other people as fans, like the people you already have? In terms of, is there a time when I bombed? Oh, absolutely. If there's a comedian who says they've never bombed, that's someone who's never had a good show because they don't know the difference.
1: Right.
2: Like I, I knew a comic like that who every show, oh, I killed, I killed every show. Oh, I killed. And it was amazing because there was one show where a bunch of people, uh, we were at another club and a bunch of people were coming back from that other show and coming to hang out at the club. And like one by one, they were all kind of, you know, all the comics were talking and he didn't know that the rest of the people who were on that show were already there mm-hmm. and already talking about how bad that show was. Everybody bombed. It sucked. Twelve people. It was awful. And then he comes there. Oh, it was great. Killed. Sold out show. And we're all just standing there, be like, "We already know, man. Like, we already know." <laughs> yeah, I, I've had, you know, I've had some bad bombs. It's been a, it's been a very long time. Um, I've definitely had off nights. Right. But the, the last time I like truly, truly bombed was I got hired to do a private party, and uh, the, the wife of the couple hired me. She tells me that her husband's a big fan, loves comedy, loves my comedy specifically, and is also a huge Lakers fan. So, can I do some basketball jokes for him and his friends? Yeah, absolutely no problem. So, I go up, I'm doing a couple like really basic Lakers jokes, and like no one's getting them. And I'm just like, okay, what is going on here? And then I, like, continue on my set, and it's just going horribly. And then I just say, I was like, has anybody here heard of me before? And, like, everyone's silent. And I realized, like, oh, I'm being used in a divorce. Like, this is... This is someone who does not like their husband at all. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And it's hired me as a pawn. It was awful. The only laugh I got the entire show, did a half hour. And to me, like 10 minutes in, I was like, this is just a long line for the ATM. That's all this is. <laughs> like I'm just checking my balance after the show. That's yeah, what yeah, this is. Yeah. And so uh, at the end of the show, I said I've been hired. You know, I was hired to for a little bit of levity, and that's exactly what happened today. A, a, a little, a little bit, and that's the only chuckle I got the entire damn show. Oh my goodness! Awesome. Yeah.
1: yeah. So going back to that, you know, if you throw a curveball, to throw a curveball. I'm, I'm pitching Major League's, cruising along fourth inning against the Astros. I'm with the Diamondbacks. All of a sudden, I give up a hit to Biggio. I hit Berkman and Bagwell hits a double. Uh, one run is scored, two guys on, Moises Alou is coming up to bat. The pitching coach comes out and he meets the catcher halfway to the mound and they're talking. So then they start walking towards me and when they finally get to me, they're like, Moises Alou, first pitch slider, okay? First pitch slider is a dead fastball hitter. First pitch slider we're gonna go first pitch slider i'm like okay they walk back i don't throw a slider i've never thrown a slider. so i'm like all right i'm gonna throw my curveball as hard as i can so i throw my curveball as hard as i can it sits right in the middle of the plate he hits a three-run bomb over the train tracks and we get into the dugout and the pitching coach goes what the hell is that i thought we said we we're gonna throw him a slider and i go i don't throw a slider you never asked if i threw a slider you just told me to throw a slider so i tried to throw a slider and that's when you say, hey, you got to know who you are and know your stuff and, and be able to work with that.
2: Absolutely. And yeah. and don't worry about it. I probably can't make Moiseleau laugh either, so it's
0: fine. <laughs> just, just joke about him pissing on his hands to uh, get a better grip yeah. on the bat. That, that was hey, the big thing. Whatever,
1: whatever works, the man laughs. Yeah.
0: Ask Odell Beckham. Uh, don't do whatever whatever that work. That kind of thing works. So. That's a totally different oh, thing. Totally different side. Oh. Tell us, uh, before we let you go, what you're up to now. You know, obviously performing. I know a few comedians here who who... who have been hit pretty hard. Uh, I know they're doing some outdoor shows and stuff like that, but tell us how you're uh,
2: still doing comedy from home. Oh man, those outdoor shows. I, I am not interested in that whatsoever. The idea, of, hey, you want to perform to four people in a bird? No, no, I don't. <laughs> we've been doing shows at Nowhere Comedy Club, which is uh, the world's first all digital comedy club. We have shows uh, pretty much every night of the week. Um, Mike Berbiglia, Jim Gaffigan, Nikki Glaser. We've had some really amazing, amazing talent. I do a weekly show there Mondays, uh, which is like a Q&A chat show where the audience can get involved. And I also do like a full headlining set there once or twice a month and my tour uh i i scheduled a tour starting next march um where you know you can get tickets for it's 117 cities um i really look forward to having to cancel that as well but if uh you know if people want to see me live they can uh, grab tickets there uh they're cheaper now because they're pre-order and everything is refundable in case you know whatever happens happens you know in case of the asteroid or whatever's next
0: yeah at this point who knows in 2020 what's coming ahead of us steve hostetter follow him On Twitter and Instagram at Steve Hofstetter, and check out his YouTube as well, nowherecomedyclub.com. Steve, we appreciate you uh, coming on with us. Hopefully, uh, we talk next. Maybe the Mets make the playoffs and shock the world. Who knows?
2: Yeah, uh, the playoffs that I think are as long as the regular season. This is such a weird time. But you know what? Regardless, let's go, Mets.
0: And that says sayonara to episode 27, the Jarris Familia or Craig Swan episode of Amazing But True, our New York Mets podcast from the New York Post. Really No other 27s? Oh, yeah, Todd Zeal. Just kidding. It is the Nelson Figueroa episode! Ah,
1: yes. Thank you, Jake and uh, Alex Camerata for producing the show. Subscribe to Amazing But True wherever you get your podcasts. If you're using Apple Podcasts, please rate us five stars and write a nice review. We always appreciate your support.
0: For Nelson Figueroa, number 27, I'm Jake Brown, number 69. We'll be back on Thursday as we look ahead to the Mets' three games against the Braves. Also, don't forget to check out our Jets and Giants podcast with The Post out now. Stay safe.